0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Can Marketing Save the Planet? Today, we are joined by Helen Hepworth, who is founder of Collective Stories, and I think it's fair to
1: say FMCG expert. Helen, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. I'm a huge fan, and I think a spark will happen today. Amazing. So let's kick off with
0: a little bit of introduction to yourself and also how Collective Stories came
1: to be. Yeah. Okay. well, we just actually caught up on that a little bit. And I talked about my journey through retail. I've been in FMCG and retail for many decades Um, longevity isn't a skill I'm a really curious person I'm curious about retail I'm curious about customers and about three years ago I decided to set up Collective Stories and what we do is we help SMEs to unpick stories so that is a story around a customer a story around an NPD proposition a story around something that they want to get across to a retailer so it could be anything to do with sustainability something that we're doing a lot of at the moment we're helping SMEs Get to the heart of the right message, and get to the heart of talking about a journey and doing it in a positive way, completely avoiding greenwashing. Um, we have. I love what I love what I do. I love the stories aspect. I love the um, reaching out to people and just being curious. Fantastic! So you're an expert on
2: all things FMCG, and and indeed. Our unhealthy relationship with consumption continues to have such a huge impact on the planet. Can FMCG truly ever be sustainable, Helen?
1: Oh, that is such a big question, and if we had hours am show, sure we could get to the bottom of it between us. but I think the the thing is is that it isn't up to FMCG to make people more sustainable. it's up to people. We as people as humans, are the ones who have to make clever choices. What the brands can do to support us is to sell well. So to not sell us things that are irresponsible, to not sell us things that are greenwashing and to really look at how we purchase and consume do we really want the brands to make the choices for us? We should be taking that responsibility on. But it's it's a two way street. Brands should absolutely sell well. I mean, what what do you think right now are the biggest priorities for
0: the F&CG industry? Because like we take a look at the, the, the grocers, for example, the supermarkets, they are doing so much because in effect they are the gatekeepers, aren't they? And they and they should be play an even bigger role in deciding what goes on the shelves.
1: But what do you think are their biggest priorities right now? Well, you said it they're the gatekeepers. They are what we call the shop window. You know, think about the tiny stories that are in your house that are probably on your desk now. You know, it's product, it's everywhere, it's messaging. What the retailers are doing really well is working behind the scenes to make the big responsible journey based decisions. So we've got to get to this destination of being carbon neutral, of having full um, transparency of supply chain, et cetera, et cetera what they can do better at is bringing the customers with them on the journey. So Mm. customers need to be spoken to in the right way all of the time. So let's not be preachy. Let's be responsible. Let's break it down. Let's speak in the right way to people, but let's take them on a journey. You will have more success as a retailer, as a big organization, if you engage with your consumers and you use this massive plethora of data you have about these consumers to actually speak to them where they are and speak to them about what matters to them. They they know everything about us. If you scan your club card or your Advantage card, they are constantly assuming things about us. Where is that coming through in sustainability? Are they looking at um, how we want to be spoken to? Are they looking at what we understand? You know, if we were starting a marketing project today, we would in, a, in the FMCG world, we would get to the heart of the consumer, and what they know about us, what they think about us. Are we doing that in retail? Are we doing that in FMCG? On some level, I think we are, but we can do better.
2: That was going to be my question about are they doing that already? I mean, there are some aspects that are coming through, but there there seems to be... I, I wouldn't specifically fear. I, I mean, for me, when when you go into a into a, a grocer supermarket, let's say, there's a lot of confusion. Um, you know, you wouldn't specifically know. Uh, and we've talked about this previously on the podcast. You know, I think there's like 455 different eco labels and. And lots of different messages and lots of different things that come through. And so it's a challenge, isn't it, for a consumer? I mean, I love that concept of sell well, because I'd love to know that I was just going into a grocer's and there was an aisle or there was a range where I know, oh, this is all the kind of product that I can feel trustworthy mm-hmm. of um, and, and they are selling well to me. Not enough of that, I would say, is is it I feel is happening at the moment, Helen.
1: I don't know what your view is. Tesco are actually doing that at the moment. Tesco are collating products. So they are collating ranges that are seen as more green alternatives. Um, I'm not sure how I feel about the word green, um, but they are they are collating things to make it easy. Don't forget the retailers thinking missions. They think about food for tonight, food to go, um, gifting. It's all about the mission. If we could get the retailers to sell well across all missions, so Mm. convenience, plastic bottles, food for tonight, overly packaged ready meals, is there an option for somebody who cares in all of those missions? If we can break it down to that, then that is a huge accelerating force at the moment, that it is quite disjointed, but what is exciting in the SME space, the SME space is where a lot of um, those miss- missions are fulfilled. So Ready Meals, it might be an SME that's supplying it. It's not massive brands, and what we're seeing with the SMEs is actually they are mm. accelerating and they are gearing up um, to, to try and sell well.
0: I noticed, when uh, you mentioned Tesco's, I noticed they had... Um They're starting to put more of the club card, you know, the savings as a club card member within the within the vegan spaces, within within the you know the the oat milks and the and the non dairy versions. And I'm seeing that more prominently. And then I saw recently when I was in there that they had um, essentially a a point of sale piece of material that said, "We'll help you make better choices in terms of saving money in the current cost of living crisis." And it's almost like they are Saying to their their customers, you know, if if you are worried, if you do have, you know, uh, a, a cost of living uh, issue within your family, then what, shop with us, and we'll take you on a journey that helps you make better choices, that helps you save money. And I think, you know, there, there is that sense of responsibility. I think ever since the pandemic kicked in, when the supermarkets absolutely kept society going, and and let's face it, they restructured their entire shopper journey overnight didn't they mm-hmm.
1: they absolutely did you've hit on so many points there so club card club card pricing is an excellent way to lock in loyalty and again amassing that data so what you found was that maybe certain people didn't have club cards but now they're going to tesco and they they have to have one to access those super super deals club card is the club card pricing aspect is one of the most interesting elements of the last decade apart from the pandemic and the behaviors that we saw in retail the club card pricing people are trying to emulate it now boots are doing their advantage card pricing you know it's it's after the holy grail that we had lost in retail for a lot of years which was loyalty Mm. so like people were hugely promiscuous you know they didn't necessarily always shop in one place whereas now because they have the club card deal they're much more likely to be a one destination shopper from a sustainability perspective, isn't that exciting because we can learn so much about them. But also it's that relationship thing, Gemma, where if they are struggling with money or not understanding sustainability, that is a transaction that they're entering with that retailer that the retailer saying will support you. We've collated this range of products. Here it is. It's amazing. Um, and we've made it simple for you. Your convenience mission has been fulfilled. You might be pushing a trolley, have some kids, or be rushing in for a meal for tonight. We facilitate for you to make an easier choice. Isn't that great?
2: It is. And and that club card story, as you said, you know, the, the offers, the deals, people rush to get those club cards to to be able to access that 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 those deals. And if indeed there is this process that could put uh, good products into a category where they where people are incentivized because of price yeah. to be able to uh, to access more sustainable products and be educated at the same time brilliant because price does come in so many cases as the reason to buy doesn't it I mean that is it so do you think that's do you think it's education do you think we'd be being almost um it's unrealistic to think that by people just becoming more informed and aware of this is a better product or this is a more sustainable product, even if it was more expensive, it's always going to be price that is
1: that tipping point. Uh, no, I really, really don't agree with that because I think if we say that it's price is the tipping point, it's saying that people who don't have as much money don't care as much or have to make choices against us or have to Prioritise their spend to not be as sustainable, and I really don't think that's the case because um, so Asda have got a sustainability store, um, a concept store in one of the least affluent areas of West Yorkshire. It's quite um, it's not it's not about affluence perhaps, but it's you know it's not a very rich area, and they've decided to trial that round there because actually you need to separate that out that that idea that just because yeah. you don't have um massive amount of money that you're not going to be sustainable. It's about value for money, but it's also about the retailers who, let's remember that private label has shot up and exploded in the pandemic. And now it's just going to get even bigger because people have to make sensible choices, but also the quality of private label is so big. So the retailers own that and they own the responsibility around that. Mm. And they are very sustainability centric or very mindful of sustainable practice because it's their brand yeah um so that is a huge pro and a huge bump for sustainability a huge accelerator when you were talking then Michelle I actually thought wouldn't it be great if Tesco or Sainsbury's or Morrison's had a club card deal that was green club card deal yeah you know instead of making it about price and saying you will benefit from this couldn't there be a people and planet based club card choice? You know, so you could access something that would give some sort of benefit to somebody else because people will make those choices. You yeah. see where you, um, you know, you make a purchase and they'll say, do you want to donate to somebody? When you're doing the self-serve checkout, it says, do you want to donate to somebody? And even if 5% of people take that up, that is a lot of shoppers, you know, over 800 Tesco super supermarkets. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I saw recently uh, that Boots actually with their take back of, uh, they take back a range of, of packaging across you know, the various different items that they sell in store and they give, uh, they give uh, points back on the Boots card. Yeah. Um, and they give, I think it's uh, you'd have to spend the equivalent of £125 to get those points in a normal shopping experience but by taking back those those uh pack those pack, that packaging you get those twi- those that that amount of points just purely doing that so it's almost like they're not saying buy things uh, they're not selling on price but they're creating a behavior whereby if you just bring something back you're going to get way more value yeah. than if you were to just keep spending with them and i think that's almost the reverse yeah. psychology that needs to be done and that's where these loyalty cards can be so powerful and back to tescos i mean their club card yellow stickers now in terms of on the on the shelves, then they're not telling you this is the cheapest item to buy, are they? They're taking products and showing a saving versus the price. And I think, again, psychologically, it's hopefully going to change behaviors of people in yeah.
1: the stores. It's not buy one, get 15 free. It's not consume, consume, over consume and waste. It's more responsible. Temporary price reduction also resonates much better with shoppers because if you have £10 to spend, you don't care if you're getting four for the price of three or whatever because actually it's about saving money and making that budget go further. Yeah, I think the Boots example is truly exciting. So the Advantage card has always been a huge, huge um, passion project of mine because I worked in Boots at the time when it first launched and I remember they really positioned it into saying, um, you know, it's about treating yourself and encourage people to have one and it's got such huge penetration and is such a powerful tool. But Boots have actually taken that and said we can learn more about sustainable shoppers and we can accelerate and um, really acquire this group of quite powerful shoppers. FMCG is the clunkiest of places sometimes, because if you think you're servicing thousands of supermarkets under your brand, it's very clunky and there's many, 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 many suppliers. So it's almost like trying to cascade that down through so many levels of so many organizations is very difficult. What I'm trying to get across here is that things take time, but the fastest accelerator in FMCG is the shopper.
2: So, Helen, one area we didn't touch on, but of course is becoming more popular and will clearly have some kind of impact on FMCG, is indeed refillable stations. What's your view on that and and how are you seeing that move into this sector?
1: As a bit of a part-time academic, I'm hugely, hugely, hugely interested in this concept because category management, which is what my business does, the process of building a range of brands The thinking behind that in the 80s when it first came out was that actually we needed more than one brand to offer consumers choice. But if you think about a refillable station within an Asda sustainability store or a a Way and save, whatever whatever they call them now, it's reduced choice because we do not need this many variants on offer we will consume what we are offered. And if we're given a choice, we will, you know, sort of think about it and and make a choice based on our needs at that time. But actually sustainable stores with refillable options remove choice. Therefore they're removing that branding opportunity. This is hugely exciting. What does this mean for marketing? If you have a shelf that has one washing powder offer on it, what does that mean for all of the other brands that are out there? You know, uh, it's hugely exciting, it's groundbreaking, it's very different. I think one of the um, refillable stores offers Vimto on tap, so you can get Vimto. But where are the other brands and do we need them? Yeah. It's pretty I think it
0: takes a lot of stress out of the shopper journey. I mean, imagine you go and you have three choices. I mean, imagine like the, the confusion goes away, the need to think about it goes away. It takes away that need to jump straight to price as well,
1: doesn't it? of course and also it takes away you know how how many sparkling waters can you tell the difference between and how many brands are on shelf how many mineral water brands will exist if we just put a tap in a shop can you really tell the difference it's it's we've built this um, branding and category management perspective, and it's brilliant and it's interesting and it's curious. But actually, let's strip it down. Do we need it all? Exactly, and I think that's a critical
2: question as we talk about how we move forward collectively. Uh, you know, and I can speak for my own example I go to a refill shop there is only one shampoo there is only one conditioner there are two hand soaps and there is one set of uh, washing you know detergent and and that is what we've been using for the past year with no complaints even though I've got two teenagers that are used to get me this brand get me that brand I can only use this I can only use that that's all gone out the window and they are just using what is in the bathroom and so you're right. That's going to be very interesting to how to think about how those brands and products are going to collaborate together to survive if that becomes the norm. Because it, it might all almost be, well, we'll become this category and you do that category. And and things will have to change quite dramatically to to, to where we are right now. Because of course, marketing has also given us this all this choice and we need these choices. And, and, and we've heard you know, the Unilever say, we're not just in the market now to make your hair uh, shinier or your teeth whiter. You know, we have to be, doing, to be doing more. But of course, the consumption and the range of products is one of the biggest problems that we've got when it comes to waste, when it comes to production, when it comes to energy. All of that is, is part of the
1: big problem. I would love to hear what the true marketing experts think about this in terms of um, when you learn marketing basics, they will talk about in the um, America in, in the 60s, 50s when marketing first came out and they'll always show a picture of a lipstick and a housewife and this was marketed to the housewife and it would make her life brilliant and she gets satisfaction and then the purchase journey and the consumption journey emerged and we've built an industry based on knowing everything about why you would buy a brand because it aligns with your values yep. it aligns with what you think and what you know but actually sustainability has arrived and that is probably one of the biggest values for shoppers And it's smashing a lot of the other purchase-based decisions or things that happen at point of purchase. And the circular economy also provides a massive opportunity to
0: innovate and do things differently. Which which brands, which FMCG brands or sectors are you sort of seeing as starting to use that circular journey in, in a good way?
1: So, well, I mean, there's there's loads of brands that I think are absolutely smashing it. I think Lucky Saint are really, really smashing it in terms of responsible messaging and from their core and from the bottom up, doing it right and selling well. So I think I'll always admire Lucky Sane for that. But I think in the SME space, there's a lot of businesses that are still, not to sort of, you know, smash anybody's perceptions, they're still really struggling with circularity as a concept mm-hmm. and are still thinking that take make and waste and then Put a sign up in the office saying "recycle." this, you really need to print it? Is enough? Circularity is still, let's be honest, a foreign concept to many. Mm. And the only way that will change is if we encourage our customers and show them why circularity is so important. That we're really going, we're really going to make a change with that. It's SMEs, there's such a a gap between knowledge in terms of what they've been left on their own for such a long time to just do the bare minimum, they think it's enough. And the transition from linear take, make and waste to circular economy, it feels like there's a chasm in between sometimes. Marketing, marketing, marketing. This is
0: literally a, a marketer's world, isn't it, FMCG? From what goes on your packaging to what goes at your end of point on your gondola end, what, you know, what promotions can you come up with? How does your website look? What more value can marketing offer over and above the price and the things we've been talking about to tell a better story and get people on this sustainable journey with us and, and, and making different choices, I guess, more informed choices about what they buy?
1: I think it's, uh, so I think one, one thing you missed out there from a marketing perspective, and I'm very passionate about it because it's my background, it's product. It's actual physical product. And the shop window aspect is the millions of products that are in houses all the time that we're with absorbing subconsciously and reading and engaging with and physically seeing them all the time. And I think what we do is we don't use that shop window enough and we don't engage with customers. Brands that do do it are people like Innocent who have a great tone of voice, are very accessible, aren't judgy or shamey or greenwashy, you know, greenwashy, that's a new term, um, you know, so, The people who engage and use the right tone of voice, who do it in a way that doesn't sort of get people looking at it going, I know I should, but I don't. So that's what marketing can do. Marketing can, from a comms level, smash it because we're all comms experts. But let's take it right down to product level, product usage. Kids that are using um, dilutable juice they need to be engaged. When they're pouring that, they need to see on the pack how far that product has come, that there are options available. That would be my biggest gap to highlight at the moment in in marketing, that we don't necessarily always consider physical product.
2: Yeah. And and when we do, or when it has been done, it's often that kind of kite mark, one of those hundreds of labels that nobody really understands what, what they mean anyway. Some of them don't actually mean anything. And this is and this is where I suppose there is that challenge, as as you mentioned, the greenwashy aspect. That that where do where do brands and products start with that? And I know you're a relentless networker, Helen. You know you've got incredible uh, connections, and and you've worked across so many different sectors and industries with so many different people. Who do you think's getting that bit right? You mentioned Innocent. You've mentioned Lucky Saint. We have, you know, one of the challenges we had when we were talking to um, Philip Kotler about this, you know, can marketing save the planet? And he said, you know, marketing is going to be part of it because it's part of the communication. It's it's part of the problem. Uh, but it's been a big part of the problem in getting us to where we, we are now. But what we don't have is enough exemplars, people that are really leading the way and then sharing the processes and saying, this is what we did. This is how we're doing it. Now, Gemma and I, in this sustainable kind of landscape that we're now operating in, definitely see that those people in that space are very open to sharing and open to collaboration. And and there seems to be a consensus that collaboration here is going to be a key way out of this together. Are you seeing any products or brands or grocers in the FMCG world uniting and collaborating and networking to, to kind of speed up the and accelerate the 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 impact that needs
1: to to happen here. I really thought about this and I've thought about this for a long time and and the honest answer, no. I think nobody has got this. I think journeys have started, journeys have started and veered off a little bit, journeys have started just because they had to, journeys have started because I read somewhere about competitive advantage through sustainability not because they know it's the right thing to do, but because it it would give them an advantage over another business. So the honest answer, no, I would have said at one point MS, but then I would or other retailers and then I'll go around this store and I'll see um, shelf ready packaging with three bags of crisps in. Yeah. You know, so I think I am very much about not forgiveness because that really is the wrong word in this context, but I'm very much about celebrating how far people have come on their journeys and not shaming them for, yes. um, you know, sort of making mistakes, but having a learning mentality. I'd say the ones that are trying to learn about it are Aldi. I think that's because obviously for the European background, they have been doing this a lot longer than we have. It has been a concern for them a lot longer. Um, I I wish I could. I really wish I could say I hold this brand up and say they are the exemplar, but honestly, we need to do better.
0: Yeah, and I think also within that, there's collaboration. You know, no no one's going to, there is, you know, the saviour complex. No one person, one business, one country is going to save us because absolutely we've got to start working together and talking to each other. And, you know, I think to a degree supermarkets are leading the way in, in collaboration and sharing best practice, but there is so much more that needs to be done, isn't there, between brands and shoppers and effectively those industries that sit along the top of FMCG.
1: Yeah, I saw the, um, I think Kantar have released their global brand powerhouses today and you'll see a lot of them in there and you look at them and you'll think, crikey. I didn't realize that brand was so powerful. And then you look at their sustainability message and you'll think, right, okay, well, you're the most powerful or one of the most powerful brands in the world. What are you honestly doing? Where are you on your journey? How open and transparent are you about this? And let's celebrate the great things that they do. Because if we don't, people will stop doing them. But actually... FMCG could absolutely do more. It yeah. starts with us. It starts with everybody who goes to a, a, a shop, you know, stands at the self-scan, thinks I've forgotten my bag for life. Am I going to risk it across the car park, balancing 15 cucumbers or whatever? <laughs> i they live a good night. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it starts with, or, you know, it starts with the shopper and it cascades up. Absolutely, absolutely absolutely
0: well Helen we like to ask all our guests the same quick fire questions at the end of every show so number one can marketing
1: save the planet yes of course we can because if we didn't believe that we there's just no point but we are the curious storytellers we control the stories. We control the stories the brands tell. We control the stories the customers tell us. We interpret those stories. We give them to the brand. Yes, we are. Yes, we can. We are curious storytellers. And we've just got to make sure that we are passionate about this and that it, it runs through our veins in everything we do. Fantastic. Oh, Fantastic.
2: And, and what do you hope business looks like, Helen, in 10 years' time?
1: I hope the SMEs Embrace circularity. I spoke before about a lot of SMEs are a bit wary of it, a bit frightened, don't really understand it, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And I talked about this chasm in between. I hope we see a bridge across that chasm. Actually, this is an opportunity because they don't understand circularity. We can go straight to circularity. Yeah, we don't have to go back to the olden days of just putting recycle bins in your office. We can leap across. We can really make bigger strides by being braver sooner. And our final question to you is, if you were to give one piece of advice
0: to others getting started with sustainable marketing in FMCG, what would it be?
1: Oh, God, so much, so much of this, but to be honest, in fact, probably give me a time frame on this one because I could really go on about it, but <laughs> don't be frightened of experts. Don't be frightened to approach an expert, a sustainability expert or somebody who knows a lot about it. Set up mentoring partnerships, access those people who know and ask them questions. Mm. Don't ever think there's a stupid question. Just say, well, well, what does it actually mean? What does carbon neutral mean? What does sustainability mean? Why is greenwashing bad? Have these conversations. Be curious, because without curiosity, you'll never form an opinion above what the supermarkets are brands tell you, you need to build your own perspective. Experts are a bit scary. Sometimes I'll meet a sustainability expert and I think, oh, what's my position on that? But it doesn't stop me. You've still got to ask those questions. Absolutely. And and that, that is, fun.
2: yeah, And in, in our sustainable marketer manifesto, that's exactly what we champion marketers to do, to, to ask those questions, to ask ask the, you know, be courageous if it it, it does feel a little bit uncomfortable and just ask the questions, just get that question starting so that you can understand this for yourself. You can then help to Educate and understand others. And then, of course, when you're communicating, you're communicating from a place of understanding, not just putting out and serving the brief without really having questioned, is this right? Can we really be saying this? Do we really do this? Uh, Which is, of course, could get brands and and organisations into all sorts of uh, challenges with Greenwash. So, you know, it's,
1: it's being responsible always 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 be curious but don't forget we've got the green code we've got the marketing manifesto we've got people to help us on this and I think maybe 10 years ago people were a bit terrified of this because it does seem like something you can get horribly wrong if we if we have a a culture as marketeers of supportive sustainability of saying that brand tried oh my gosh they got it wrong what can we learn from it you know that's that's the way we'll do this, particularly in FMCG. We're a weird bunch, but we are so exciting. Curiosity and learning from others is absolutely
0: going to help us drive forward and, and, and change the course uh, we are currently on. Helen, as always, it's always an absolute pleasure to chat to you. We talk to you all day, every day. Uh, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. And uh, we will speak to you soon. Thank you. Thanks, Helen.